He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the King's Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Nunez of the King's Pulse Podcast and the King's Herald. What's going on, Brendan? Not too much, James. Uh, thanks for having me on, man. And the Kings didn't get a win last night, but I still thought it was some pretty entertaining basketball, and they're playing the best team in the East. So I'm, I'm doing all right. All right. Yeah, I thought it was entertaining too. Uh, before we dive into the basketball, let's let's just go through the rigmarole roll. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, go down below and hit the thumbs up, and then hit the subscribe button. Uh, we're at like 870 subscribers. We're like flying towards a thousand. We need to hit that thousand mark, people. Let's get there. Um, so if you're watching the podcast, and I know a lot more of you are watching than are subscribed, then make sure you give us a subscription. Um, also, uh, today is Thursday, Thursday, February 17th. Um, you, if you're not a premium subscriber to the Kings beat, uh, then you're not going to get the invite to the off the record with the Kings beat virtual happy hour, part three, the search for Jerry, uh, Jerry Reynolds is joining us tonight from five 30 to seven on the Kings beat happy hour It's for premium subscribers. Uh, it's basically like a comedy show and you, you're going to miss it. Uh, sorry, we don't record it. It's off the record. We talk about things. Uh, sometimes we get a little loose. Sometimes we have a few drinks. Uh, it's a rousing good time. And if you're not a paid subscriber, you're going to miss out. So jump on board. I'll take people probably until like three o'clock, uh, new subscribers because it requires me sending out links and stuff like that. Um, also our merch shop launched between, uh, Tuesday and today. Um, so the, uh, the King's Beat merch shop is down in the description down below. Uh, it's also a good spot to find like where to find Brendan Nunes. Uh, but you can get things like this, which are pretty nice. Uh, we also have these cool hats, um, some cool stuff in the merch shop and uh, for listeners of the podcast, I uh, I have um, a promo code. The promo code is pretty simple. It's ESPN thirteen twenty. That will save you ten percent, and uh, you know off your first purchase there. And I think it goes until the end of February. Um, so jump on board with some Kings Beat merch, uh, so you two can be on fire during your uh, your podcasting days. Um, all right. Uh, outside of that, uh, if you're a member of the King's Beat um, Premium, you get the Discord channel. They're doing some cool things over there, which I don't get to partake in because uh, during game nights I'm super busy. Uh, but I know Chris, shout out to Chris, he is doing watch parties, uh, which is fun. So you have the ability to watch the game with other people and sit there and chat and smack talk and have a good time. Um, outside of that, uh, I think we got everything covered. Um, make sure you're following Brendan. Brendan is is just new to the the game, and he's 
he could use as many Twitter followers as possible. So jump on board with Brendan, uh, at Brendan Nunez, MBA, uh, which you can see. I think he copied my MBA. Uh, I'm just going to say it, Brendan. Did I don't you copy? know about this. No, uh, no, no, no. I would have had NBC at the end. I don't know, James. I've had this one for a little while here. There's uh, a lot well, of other people that copy your Twitter handle. I did not. Yeah, there. Uh, we did. What, what do we have? Three fakes. Um, and just, just so people know, um, when you switch your Twitter Twitter handle, Twitter takes away your blue check mark. Then you have to go through this whole process of getting your Twitter your your check mark back. And I just haven't had time with all the things that we're doing here at the King's Beat. I haven't had time to go in and ask for my blue check mark back, uh, which led to like this really weird. And I think King's Insight like took credit for it. I don't I don't know why you would take credit for it. I mean, I should just block you for that um, because it is like literally you're putting my reputation out there on the line. Um, but making fake Twitter handles uh, became a thing, and um, well, it's always a thing around the trade deadline. And to get them to like remove one is like you have to send in a picture of your id which again is stupid that they don't store pictures of your id since you've already gone through this three or four times like i have uh, but yeah just kind of a weird thing um so brandon no no fake uh brandon nunez uh twitter handles yet i'm not that level yet james no you'll We're get not there. there yet yeah. you'll get there brandon. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i know i made it uh yeah you know you made it when um okay uh let's jump into this man uh the kings lose to chicago um they have played some some tough teams like i'm not gonna sugar like sugarcoat this and say that they shouldn't have beat the the brooklyn nets they should have beat the brooklyn nets the brooklyn nets were like limping in um but two and two during let's just call it the sabonis era of kings basketball like what are your takeaways from that Chicago game? Is there anything that stood out to you that like, that you like circled and said, eh, I don't know if I liked what happened here or maybe something you did like? I mean, I think I definitely liked the play of De'Aaron Fox. He came out on fire um, in that first half. He scored 19 points, five assists on, 11, on eight of 11 shooting. He was, there was an aspect of hitting a little bit of everything. I don't think all the shots were great necessarily, um, but he's been a really good mid-range shooter this year, which I think helps for a guy that uh, we talk about, understandably so, as, as a poor shooter. I, I think when you're able to hit that mid-range, it does allow him, um, it, it keeps defenders honest, right? So, and they're setting the screens a little bit lower, I think we've seen in, since Sabonis has been there, that makes it easier for De'Aaron where if guys go under, he's just able to pull it because he's already in the mid-range. So um, I, I did really like what I saw from De'Aaron, especially in that first half, and then he really slowed down. Um, I, I think Chicago kind of shifted their defense, and this is also an aspect, I think, of what I didn't like is that the Kings just still don't have enough spacing. Um, I, I think we talked about it on the last episode too, but it's very apparent. Like Justin Holiday shot really well this game. He ended 6 of 11 from 3. Um, I, I want to say that a couple of those were in the third and fourth quarter that didn't go down as well, that he was even he was even hotter than those numbers might uh, indicate earlier in the game. And even when you have that type of shooting night, it still didn't feel like there was enough spacing on this Kings team. Um, so I, I think there's a lot to be optimistic of. Like, I mean, DeMontis Sabonis dropping an efficient 22, 12, and 8 is certainly nothing I'm going to complain about from him either. 
but I, I think to optimize this group, you really need more spacing around it. I agree 100%. I think not having Davion Mitchell in the game, it hurts because if you had a six of 11 night from, uh, from a guy like Justin Holiday, and then on top of that, you would have had, you know, like a four of eight night or something from Davion, then it, it might've provided a little bit more of the spacing that we're looking for. But I think we clearly know, Brendan, that that's what they have to attack during the off season. They need, they need more shooters. And I mean, DiVincenzo, if he's going to be a starter, if he's going to be someone who like takes on a bigger role going forward, he has to be better than what we've seen so far as a shooter. Uh, he has to be more selective, which again, we saw some bad threes from him. Um, just some really off balance way outside every once in a while he, he walks into one. Um, but I, I think, you know, if we look at we rewind to the trade deadline, um, when the Clippers got Norman Powell for like free, that was one of those moves where it was like, okay, well that doesn't make sense for the Kings with their current roster makeup. But then it made sense like five minutes later when all of a sudden Buddy Hill's not there and, and Tyrese Halliburton aren't there. Uh, you know, the, the combo of, of them aren't there. Um, you really do need to find three-point shooters. You need to find, I think you need a third slash fourth scorer on this team. And they don't have that. Like you take away one of the the Kings' big three at this point, or you limit them, you're going to have a, a tough night um, scoring. And so uh, I think the Chicago game was like very, very clear where you have to add to this team. And hopefully that's something that they're going to attack. And, and I'm sure that it is. I mean, this was step one of the build. When you hear people talk about the Chicago build, how they brought in Vucevic and then they built off of him. Um, do you see that as, as a path for the Kings where that might be the Sabonis thing might be equal to the Vucevic trade and like you're going to start seeing hopefully the, the Kings try to design their team a little bit like what we've seen in Chicago? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think so. Like the mold of how they built their team, I, I think is something that the Kings can definitely look at. Like you pointed out the Sabonis and um, Vucevic parallel. I, I think that that's there. I think that the offseason signings are where it gets difficult, right? Like Chicago had a whole lot of cap space they were working with. And on top of the cap space that they brought Lonzo and Caruso into, they did a sign and trade with DeMar DeRozan, um, which, you know, maybe you do a sign and trade um, for, you know, this is a, just throw out a random example, some ridiculous m number with um, Miles Bridges. And all of a sudden it's like Rashawn Holmes going back or something like this. And it, it would just would take a lot. And, and I don't think that those numbers will probably end up lining up. But point being is like it takes a lot of risk this offseason and a lot of things for the cards to kind of fall right for the Kings. Um, so I think that it's more so rather than um, adding people through just straight up cap space that you're going to see more of like needing to go take Harrison Barnes and a, one or two first round picks or Rashawn Holmes and one or two first round picks and then making your moves from there. But I, I do think it's similar in Chicago to Chicago's build from the point of view of like, you made this trade, but this was just step one. Um, you know, we still saw that number eight pick that Chicago gave up ended up being Franz Wagner that went to Orlando. 
Um, and I think at the end of last year, Chicago probably wasn't fan base, probably wasn't feeling great about that trade. But then you add a couple more and it's like, OK, I see what we're working with here. And I think that that's where the parallel is. Yeah. And, and I mean, looking at the King salary for next year, the Kings are um, there as of right now, they're at one hundred and three point eight uh, million salary cap, I think, went up. It's projected at I want to say one twenty one. Um, with a luxury tax at like 145, 147. So it is jumping substantially. And the Kings do have, they are going to have room. Um, you know, you're going to have to worry about the Dante DiVincenzo situation. But again, that's it's more of a cap hold uh, coming into free agency where it's a $6.6 $6 million cap hold and it'll eat some of your, your space. Um, but I think that they are going to have at least some money uh, they certainly will have like a mid-level exception, which is, you know, pushing $10 million at this point. You can do a four-year, like $44 million deal or $46 million deal with the MLE at this point. Um, it's going to be difficult to find the big heavy hitter. Like you brought up a guy like Miles Bridges, and I, I just don't see a way that Charlotte's going to let him go. Um, you know, that that to me is like pie in the sky. But even that, I mean, I know he's gotten better all around. Um, is he a true like knockdown three point shooter that you can you can depend on? And I haven't looked at his numbers, so uh, I'm just saying that you know are there guys that are better fits that are more three and D type guys um, that fit that that mold um, as opposed to a guy who you know is going to do a lot of cutting and, and a lot of playing off of other people and um, wants to be a big time scorer. Um, I, I think yeah. there are a lot of avenues there, but yeah, uh, I think the caliber of guy you're talking about, and and I know he just is dealing with an injury right now, but it's like a Joe Ingles. Like this isn't like a big splash sort of free agent market. Um, But, and again, I know Ingles has his injury complications. It might be a little bit older, but something like a Joe Ingles, Kyle Anderson, and maybe Anderson doesn't shoot great from three, but like, I think this is the caliber of player you'd be talking about. Yeah, actually, if I'm the Kings, I'm looking for a higher caliber player. Um, And that's not a, a slide on either one of those guys. I think that you need, the next Harrison Barnes. So Harrison Barnes plus uh, in order for this thing to work. And so I, I think that that's where they look now. Like we could get back into like, is does that mean like they're going to chase Jeremy Grant again um, or, or someone like that? Uh, maybe, you know, I, I think that they're looking for a tier above, you know, an equal to or higher tier than Harrison Barnes for the next step. Which is, you know, kind of where they they uh, you saw the Bulls build out their team um, this last year. Um, now we're going to dive into the numbers a little bit because I, I think there's something interesting. I mean, we take the Chicago game, and look, you're going up against one of the best teams in the league. That Chicago's been absolutely spectacular, uh, and Tamar DeRozan at this point is an offensive juggernaut. Uh, Alvin Gentry talked about it in post game. Um, that, you know, like, look, no one is slowing this guy down. And he just tied or broke uh, Wilt Chamberlain's record for the most consecutive 35-point game shooting over 50% from the field, which I think he's at, what, seven? Uh, Like, he's been incredible, so slowing him down was going to be an issue. Winning on the road on uh, the getaway game um, going into the All-Star break was going to be extremely difficult. Winning without Davion Mitchell, uh, who, let's be honest, like you want to say, like it doesn't matter who we think Davion is right now or, you know, can be, he would have slowed down Kobe White a little bit. 
because that's who he is. And Davion has a hand injury, a right hand injury, which we didn't get anything else on. It showed up strangely on Wednesday morning's uh, injury report. And now Davion is out of the Rising Stars game. Um, so people who didn't get that memo this morning, I don't, the NBA dropped something at like seven o'clock in the morning. I'm not on the on the West Coast. I'm not quite sure why it came in so early. Um, but Davion is now out of the Rising Stars, uh, which is uh, a bummer for Kings fans who now don't have any representation at the at All Star Weekend. It's not um, true. Tyrese Halliburton will be there. Tyrese will be there. Tyrese is not a king, Brendan. He's not he might, a king. No. The yeah. fan base can still. They have something to root for. I think so. No, I, I think the fan base should, you know, root on a guy like uh, Tyrese. But I think that not having Davion really in that specific game, it does matter because it wasn't just DeRozan. You slow down. The focus was to, like, try to slow down DeRozan. And Kobe White went off for, uh, what was it, 31 points. Um, and then you had to shift some of your energy to him. And that allowed DeRozan to really torch the Kings late. Um, but you know, that's going to happen. That's a good team. Um, but I I think it brings us to a discussion on the Kings offense, uh, since the Sabonis trade and we've got one outlier game, right? We've got the, uh, the miserable, miserable Nets game where the Kings shot 34.4%, uh, from the field and, and had 12 assists. But the other three games, Brennan, we're looking at 51.6% from the field. 56.6% 56.6% from the field, 51.2% from the field. And in those games, 32, 27, and 24% from, uh, on, I mean, ugh, 32, 27, 24 assists. When this thing is working, it's efficient and it's, and it really does work. You just need more shooters. That's what it feels like. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, and I think that, the other aspect of having more shooting around this and that we haven't seen in this offense, and I think that we will see less because obviously they're really aiming for a high-paced offense. Um, but sometimes when you get caught in a half-court situation, like I wouldn't mind them going to Sabonis post-ups a little bit. Um, I don't think that we've seen it very often, like pretty rare, actually. I want to say there were a couple again in this Vucevic uh, matchup. But prior to that, I, I can't think of all too many we've seen. And again, it's only been four games. They are really focused on playing a really high-paced offense. Um, a lot of times, Sabonis is the one coming down with the board and either hitting the outlet or, or taking it a couple dribbles himself before giving it up. So I, I understand why they don't go to it all too often. And I also think that the lack of shooting is a factor of that in that, obviously. Um, but I think sometimes in the half court, you could go to that a little bit more often. But um yeah, certainly what we've seen recently is really encouraging for also having this obvious hole of a, a lack of spacing and you to still be able to put up those assist numbers. I think there's still a lot of passes that are going through people's hands um, and op- opportunities for the ball to be moving even better. And I think just seeing these possessions where it's like, wow, every single player touched the ball right there. And being able to say that a couple times each game is just so different and encouraging. And I think that there's a level of trust that if I give the ball up, there's a good chance that I'm going to get it back. And that I don't think was there before um, that helps factor into this. And yeah, I think that it, it is very encouraging what we've seen on the offensive end, considering it's only been four games and there are aspects that still need to be cleaned up, but it's already looked this good. 
you know what I liked about the Chicago game um, outside of what did Fox score? 33, 35, 40? I can't remember what he scored. Yeah, 33. 33. Okay. Um, but the nine assists. And we talked about this a little bit on the last one. Um, and I, I actually had asked Fox about this. I know that Sabonis is setting Fox up repeatedly throughout games. He is like this just a dream for De'Aaron Fox. I mean, completely a dream. And what I think we started seeing in the Chicago game was Fox figure out, figuring out how to set up Sabonis. And that's huge. If you can unlock them both, and I can even, I can remember back to one play specifically where Fox, we had the the huge left-handed jam from, uh, from Sabonis off the Fox pass in the pick and roll, right? And I, I thought that was exciting. Is it secondly? I don't think that I fully knew that Sabonis was left-handed. Um, I hadn't gone in and and looked at it, and you know I've watched enough of him where you don't know he's ambidextrous, so you don't really get into it that much. But when he went up for a, a pure one-handed dunk, he's left-handed, which really plays in with Fox. Now you have two lefties on the same side of the court that can play in a two-man game and sort of leverage each other. Uh, but there was also one other play where Fox hit Sabonis on a beautiful play. Sabonis bricked it and then went back up and tapped it in. And that would have been Fox's 10th assist if he didn't uh, brick the lay-in. So what I'm saying is that I, I think we're going to start seeing, I talked about this right when the trade happened, I think that Sabonis is a player that can unlock De'Aaron Fox since uh, coming back from injury, so it's one extra game. Fox is averaging what? 28.2 points, five assists, five rebounds. His steals are way down, but he's shooting almost 42% from three, shooting over 50% from the field. He really is coming on. And I, I think we saw it in the Chicago game where he was takeover from the opening tip. I mean, he had 14 points in the first quarter. Um, but I, I think we're only going to see this build. And that, I, I think, is the true, the true beauty to adding a player like Sabonis because now you have this combination that you see that you can put pieces around to improve it. Um, I guess my question there, Brennan, are they forgetting some of the other guys? Because it kind of felt like that. It kind of feels like the trio of Barnes, Sabonis, and uh, and Fox are stealing. Like They're trying to work on their chemistry, and some of the other guys like Mo Harkless just doesn't get any shots anymore and and Justin Holiday for a long stretch during that game this wasn't even a factor he wasn't getting any looks at all uh and you have other guys that are coming in and then I feel like sometimes when I'm seeing those guys they're forcing things because they haven't seen the ball forever and I mean Rashawn Holmes is like the most glaring of them but I think it it feels that way with a couple of players yeah I think there's aspects of that um I'm not at the point where I really am too bothered by that because I think that some of the surrounding pieces do struggle offensively like like Mo Harkless um, Justin Holiday. if you are in a situation where they're kicking it to him and he's an open um, he's he's open from the perimeter he's gonna pull it um, and, and I think that's that's fine um, and I think that's kind of the adjustment that we saw with Chicago in the second half right is that we're gonna make the other guys beat us and I think my concern is more so that, like, can the other guys even step up and do that? Um, which I, I think is still a question. Like The answer is no. Go yeah. Ahead. I mean, with Chemezi Metu, like, Trey Lyles is getting a little bit of run in this one. Um, maybe DiVincenzo and 
I think that the three that stand out that I'd like to see like more in the rhythm and involved would be DiVincenzo, Holmes, like you mentioned, and then Mitchell when he's out there. Um, and, and I think that getting all of those guys um, involved in this building chemistry and added in an offense where it's flowing around and all of those guys have opportunity that I think that um, when it comes to those players, um, yes, but some of these other ones, uh, Holiday, if it, like I said, if it kicks to him and he's open, he's going to shoot it. That's great. But I don't think you need to like directly involve him. Um, Harkless, same thing. Chemezi Metu falls into the same thing. Um, so I'm not at the point quite yet where I'm concerned about that. Like I think it's probably more important to work with the chemistry of the other three guys and the, the big three and building something there. Um, but there is going to come a point where it's like, okay, you have to be able to go to these other guys or you're just going to see the adjustment that Chicago made at halftime. Yeah. I remember I, I asked Russell Westbrook, um, during the Western conference finals when it was OKC versus golden state. And I went OKC, I think had a, a three, one lead in that and blew it. Um, and after one of the games, I asked Russell Westbrook and uh, Kevin Durant if they were shooting too much as a, a tandem because they had combined for 59 shots per game, 59 or more in like the previous four games. Like every game they're shooting 59 of like the 72 shots their teams are taking. So that leaves like 13, 14, 15 shots for the other for the other players it's really hard to keep people engaged defensively when they don't get any love on the offensive end. Like that it's, it's not just like a Rashawn Holmes issue that that is an issue throughout the league. If you don't keep players engaged on the, on the offensive end, they often like, they just can't figure out how to keep engaged on the defensive end. And so I I think we're going to have to see the team work through some of that. Uh, But also again, uh, we're going to keep harping on this. This is where you have to improve during the offseason. And we're not talking about a young player learning how to do this or something. We're talking about, like, you got to go get somebody. You got to get somebody who can, who can average eight three-point attempts a game and, and shoot, you know, 38 to 40% um, and, and just bring in that other guy. And, you know, it's kind of funny, Brennan, we haven't even noticed really all that much, but Jeremy Lamb played really well in the first game. He could be some of that uh, down the stretch, but he's just missing. Like he's got an ankle injury that came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden Jeremy Lamb's not playing on on a nightly basis. And I think again against a team like Chicago, where I think you had your scoring going, but you could have used one more creator, one more guy who who isn't just a, a three point spacer, but can do a lot of different things. I, I think you could use someone like that because the Kings are used to having that guy and not having Davion as well. Or even Terrence Davis. Team. Or Terrence Davis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's a great point. Like, this team would look much different with, with uh, Terrence Davis on the roster. Yeah. Yeah, I think it definitely would. Um, yeah, they, they need confident, capable three-point shooters and guys that are going to help uh, – if the ball gets swung to them, it's not just if I'm open, I'm going to pull it. But oh, all of a sudden, I'm in an advantageous situation. I'm going to take a couple dribbles and take advantage of it. Um, and I think we're seeing Davion do that. I think DiVincenzo is growing into doing that. And Terrence Davis and Jeremy Lamb would, would probably be able to do that as well. But um, just haven't quite been out there. Yeah, uh, 
when you look at the uh, the eleven three point attempts that we saw from um, from Justin Holiday, were you comfortable with those eleven? Because he does a lot of off balance coming off uh, screens, uh, three point attempts, which to be honest, I didn't know. I haven't watched enough Justin holiday to like hone in on him. If you're watching the Indiana Pacers, he's like the eighth guy you're watching. If that, um, you know, on most nights. So, uh, but like watching him a couple of games now, he's not a guy who's standing there waiting for a three. A lot of times he's not a true floor spacer in that, in that regard. He's more of a, you know, coming tight off a screen and, and and leaping off the screen and and going up for three point off balance three uh, three point shots, is that something that you expected to see from him, or or is that am I just crazy? Because maybe I'm seeing something that you're not. No, I don't think I expected it to this extent. Um, I think that they're running a lot of like those same actions that they ran with Buddy, uh, with Justin Holiday. So I think it's kind of enabling him to do that even more so and I think that it's more than what I would like um more often than not but at the same time like we talk about this team really needing spacing and if other opponents are going into games knowing that um the Kings are going to be running um Holiday off of these pin downs and you have to keep an eye on him because he is a aspect of this offense where he can catch and shoot very quickly from three and and you have to worry about him in actions I think that that's useful I think like ideally you'd have a better player um, that is filling that role but I think that since the team does need spacing I don't hate the volume that he's getting up even for the sake of like it makes other defenses have to think about him that makes sense where are you at? Last last episode, we really, really dug into Dante DiVincenzo. We spent a lot of time on him. Um, but now we we have the first game where uh, where Justin Holiday's really has hit shots. Um, and it's funny, like it's such a. This is why we talk about sample sizes, right? Um, Justin Holiday is now shooting like thirty seven point nine percent from three as a member of the Sacramento Kings, which is exactly what he was shooting before. Uh, when he was in Indiana, um, and I think it's on like 8.3 attempts per game. Um, so he is giving you some of what you need. I don't think like, as far as like, he's not a long, he's, he's a long guy, but I don't see him as like a lockdown defender. Um, I even made the comparison the first time, uh, we saw him to Garrett Temple and I don't really see that as much. Uh, I think he's a savvy player. I think he's a smart player. I think he's a good teammate. Um, but he doesn't fill up a lot of the other categories that I thought that he might. I just, what are your overall impressions? And like, if he's on this team next season as like, I I would probably guess like an eight through 10 player. Are you comfortable with that? Yeah. Like eight through 10. I I think that I'm, I'm definitely comfortable with that. I'm happy to have DiVincenzo. Um, No, no, I I mean holiday. Oh, holiday. Um, Yeah. I I do really, I, I do like holiday as that sort of range. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that his deal is reasonable. It's around $6 million, right, for next year. Um, I'm I'm totally fine with that. I, I think that we're talking about the Kings needing as many 3 and D players as possible, and I think that while Drew Holid- uh, Justin Holiday isn't starting caliber in that aspect, um, I, I do think that 
he um, can fit, like you said, that eight to ten, and the Kings need as many of those guys as possible. So I'm I'm certainly happy that if Justin Holiday's on the team, but I also don't look at him as somebody like, oh, you have to keep around. I think ideally you can, but if he's needed to be thrown in for salary matching for a bigger deal, like I'm not losing sleep over that. Yeah, I, I do. It's that's a good point. Um, the salary matching, I mean, because between him and Holmes, now you're looking at 18 plus million uh, plus 25 percent. You know, you can get up to the end into the 20s um, as far as a player that you can bring back without getting even additional pieces in. And again, I don't mind him being on the roster, uh, but I also kind of look at him and go, OK, you know, like uh, at the NBA level, um, he at least can hold down the fort for a little while. He can play. I think if he's playing 16 to 18 minutes a game, then you can be a solid team. Uh, but as a starter, as someone who uh, you're running out there nonstop, you he know, 37 minutes against Chicago. Holy yeah, that's tough. But again, we, we talked about this a little bit. Um, I, I think if you're looking at, uh, you know, Terrence Davis coming back, you know, are there even going to be that many minutes? Like that's, it's going to be tough because we're looking at, again, De'Aaron Fox, Dante DiVincenzo, which I believe will be on this roster next season, uh, Davion Mitchell and Terrence Davis. That's kind of your four guards. Justin Holiday would have to play um, minutes at the three in order to, for it to work. I mean, he kind of, like, I, I, and don't take this the wrong way because I, I actually think the, the Kings poorly utilized him. He's kind of like Glenn Robinson, you know? Like, he's a guy that if he's on your roster, he's a good character guy. He, he's a good teammate. Uh, he does good things. He doesn't play totally outside of himself and make some random crazy decision. Uh, but he also is like, there are ways to improve that position. I don't think you can have like a lineup where it's him and Mo Harkless, because at this point, I, I don't think that works as a starting group. You need someone who can shoot the three better uh, or that is more viable as a three point shooter, if that makes sense. Um, because I think Justin Holiday can shoot the three, but we're talking about a guy who averages 10 points a game and isn't going to scare anybody uh, as far as, you know, as a shooter. I mean, he can knock down the three, but again, no one is game planning for Justin Holiday, and they're not game planning on the offensive end for Mo Harkless. So now you're allowing a team, the opposition, to game plan specifically for Sabonis, for Fox, and for, uh, for Barnes. And if you knock out one of those legs, this team's in trouble. So, yeah, they, they need more, right? <laughs> we keep yeah, saying this. They do. Um, I'm curious where you're at with what you saw with DiVincenzo yesterday because there was a stretch at, um, I want to say, early fourth or late third where Fox and Sabonis both went to the bench. And I know that Gentry said that they were trying to stagger those guys as much as possible. So we saw a small stretch there where both those guys were on the bench. And I was like, man, this is a big moment where Sacramento can't let this lead. I want to say it was about an eight-point lead from Chicago at that point get out of hand. And Dante DiVincenzo was the one initiating the offense. Like I think is um, when Sabonis and Fox are out and, and Mitchell's unavailable, I think DiVincenzo is kind of the obvious option to do that. And um, he shot really poorly yesterday. He was only one of five from three. I want to say his one was a catch and shoot. I'm, I'm waiting to pull numbers and talk about it too much until we have a larger sample size. But I am very much feeling the what we talked about before, catch and shoot versus pull up for DiVincenzo. Um, but he had five assists yesterday. And there was that stretch, like I said, where both those main two, Fox and Sabonis, were out. And I was kind of impressed with DiVincenzo initiating the offense. 
I'm totally fine with him being the number two point guard. Like I, I've said this a couple of times, Davion Mitchell can get assists, but they're forced. A lot of them are forced. His best attributes are on the defensive end as a catch and shoot, you know, scorer, uh, like stretching the defense um, and knocking down open shots. And then every once in a while using his like quickness to get inside and get to the rim. I think that's where he really, really can thrive in the league. I don't think he's, like, I might be wrong. I don't think he's ever going to be a 15, 16-point-per-game guy. Uh, I think at, at his height, if he's given the opportunity, will be more like a 14-point-per-game guy. Uh, but even that, I think it's going to be really difficult because if he comes back on this team next year and you still have DiVincenzo, you still have, um, you know, Fox and Barnes and Sabonis, but you also add in Terrence Davis and you add in another major piece um, now we start getting into the, like, how many shots are there type deal. And I think that the one good thing about, uh, Davion is he does, uh, you know, he, he does stay within himself for the most part and he's pretty efficient and he's an efficient passer. Uh, but it's, it's very nuts and bolts, his passing, if you know what I mean. It's very, there isn't a lot of flash to it and that's Okay. Uh, he makes the easy pass, the short pass, the the one that makes sense most of the time. But I, I don't feel that he's a natural like setup man. And what I've seen from DiVincenzo is different. I, I think he can be a setup man in a way that Halliburton's a setup man, but not nearly as good as Halliburton at it, uh, just because he's a little bit more selfish as a scorer, what we've seen so far uh, DiVincenzo is. I mean, he takes some ill-advised shots. Like, I, like, oh, like, do not do that again. Um, but we talked about it before we came on. He had that pocket pass where he, I think he cut to the right elbow um, and fired a pass to Sabonis. But the way he fired it, to me, it looked like a quarterback. And what he did is he saw the open spot that he could throw a pass where it's, no one else could get it. And it was to uh, Sabonis's like backhand. Sabonis caught it, spun around, and laid it right in. I thought it was absolutely brilliant where he put the pass, and he had some nice dump offs. Um, you know, like he drives, he kicks, uh, he's super aggressive going to the rim, but he's sloppy, and he needs more time doing it. And I again, he's he's only a fourth year guy. He's twenty five, but he's only a fourth year guy who missed a better part of the season. And so he does need more time to develop. And, uh, but I, I think if he can become, if he can really settle in this offseason at becoming a knockdown three point shooter, a, a guy who can average, average 38 to 40% and can get you, you know, eight threes a game, six threes a game, um, not makes, but, you know, attempts a game and space the floor for Fox, I think he's a perfect running mate again because. He's going to have moments where he does something crazy, like off the dribble and, and, and find somebody. And I, I think as of right now, you got a bunch of players on this team that are not used to having passers around them at all. And so they're they're surprised. They're surprised when someone like DiVincenzo or someone like Sabonis hits him. You got to get over that really quickly. But when the alternative, and this isn't to bag on the, the other guys, when your alternative was you know, Buddy Hield, who does some pick-and-roll passing but does not create for others hardly at all outside of the pick-and-roll. You got Harrison Barnes, who is not a natural passer. You have Rashawn Holmes, who's not a natural passer. 
and those are three of your your top six players and now you're mixing in all these other guys that actually move the ball in a different way it's hard to adjust man it's like you're looking around like sorry i should have caught that ball that's my bad and then you, then the other thing you're having is some of these guys think oh everyone else is passing the ball i'm gonna do it and it's like no 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 stop what you're doing stop it you know because then we're getting these silly turnovers with guys that see Sabonis make a bounce pass that no one else in the league outside of like Jokic can do from the center position and they're trying it and it's going out of bounds and they're like oh my bad you know it looked better in my head than it did on on the court yeah I think Rashawn Holmes falls into this sometimes trying to be Sabonis out there Shemezi Damian like they they all of them do um uh so you brought up Holmes um it's hard to watch and he only played 10 minutes in that Chicago game, which I, I understand why. Um, but, I mean, we, we heard a lot about it post-game. Like, that's got to be a really tough tra- tough transition. You know, and I, I think even when it comes to getting in a rhythm, but also just mentally. Yeah, I worry that he's broken a little bit, you know. Um, I, he has a personal issue off the court. Um which, you know, we talked about in the last uh, pod. His, his mom tweeted out that one of his cousins had passed away that was close to him. We don't know when that happened. Um, so, you know, I'm not just going to sit here and say, like she even said, we don't like excuses. Um, but the eye injuries, the everything leading up to what's happened this season, even like the contract, I don't think he was happy about. Uh, we get all the way to where we are now. And, uh, you know, I had tweeted out that, you know, he's got to, he's either got to be better or he can't play anymore. And I know someone responded like he played 10 minutes and then his mom actually liked the tweet, uh, from the, the response. And my answer would be Rashawn Holmes didn't deserve those 10 minutes in that game. And I, I feel bad saying that, but like, whatever's going on, like you either got to get through it or you need to, you need to sit down for a week and clear your head. And like, I think the all-star break might be coming at the perfect time for him. And this is a player that I've enjoyed covering. I think he is a hustle guy. I think he's a fun player. He just looks so out of sorts and it's not that he's not trying and he's so frustrated. You can see it. The one rebound he had that he went up and just ripped it down. You could just see the frustration in him. But Brendan, that you know, that's not what this isn't this isn't little league, you know? No. And I, I think the question there, and I, I think we just got a little bit of news, by the way, if you wanna take a peek at your phone. Um minor news. Um, but I think that the counter there for Rashawn would be does he deserve the minutes because of what he's previously been and you know what he can be. Um and I don't know if that's the case um, because at the same time, um, we we saw what Damian Jones had been as of late prior to them even adding DeMontis Sabonis. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as much as you can say that like, oh, well, we know what uh, Rashawn Holmes can be and if he can get back to that caliber of player, he's a really good backup center in this league that can fit well and give them a different look when Sabonis goes to the bench. Um, at the same time, Damian Jones has been able to supply a 
uh, a lob threat offensively who rolls to the basket hard and sets good screens. And then on the other end is a rim protector. And um, while I do think that we've seen improvements from Sacramento defensively, especially when it comes to perimeter containment, I think that they still lack rim protection on this team. And Damian Jones might be the best rim protector that they have. Um, So, yeah, Holmes is in an interesting spot. And um, at the same time, while I I feel for Rashawn Holmes, it being a tough situation, and I would think that this All-Star break gives him an opportunity to kind of reset mentally and I I think come to a point of accepting what the rest of this year is going to look like and and hopefully getting to a point of, um, you know, I'm going to excel in what this role is. And um, you're just fully buying into that. So hopefully that becomes the case. But also feel for Damian Jones a little bit that like, man, you've been playing really well and now you're just out of the rotation again. It's hard because uh, he's out of the rotation because you have to keep the value of Holmes. There's no question there. You have to keep the value of him, whatever you can. Um, Although at some point there could be negative value. And I hope that Rashawn Holmes like figures it out and all of a sudden can becomes a, a, a like viable player for this team. I think you have to at least, I mean, if you're going to try all of these other things, you have to at least try him and Sabonis together for 10 minutes a game. And that's five minutes a half. And it might not seem like it's, it makes all that much sense. Uh, But I don't care. I I at least want to see it because even if you're moving forward without Rashawn Holmes, Damian Jones is not that much different than Rashawn Holmes. They're very similar as far as player types. And you got to know, like, is Damian Jones going to be like, I ain't going to be here. You guys can't figure out how to use Rashawn Holmes. And Rashawn Holmes makes $10 million a year, $11 million a year. What am I going to do to make a difference here? Um, just so everyone knows, while Brennan and I were, uh, while Brennan was talking and he said that there was some news, uh, we'll just break it here. Um, this will go up after, after, well, you probably will know it by now, but the Kings have waived Lou King, which uh, that just the the press release just went out that the Kings waived Lou King, who is a two-way player. Um, I, I didn't read the press release, but I'm going to guess this. Uh, I'm going to put on my uh, my hat and say the Kings want to look at other players down the stretch of the season, and they don't feel that Lou King is, A, going to play uh, with the parent club, and B fits the long term, uh, like what the Kings are doing long term. There could be something else behind the scenes that we don't know about yet. Um, but uh, Luke King is an interesting player. Um, I think there are reasons why he's not in the league already, uh, because he does kind of feel like a four A player, um, like in baseball terms. Um, but still, I, I think the Kings are going to want to look at other players. It, it's possible too that they look at a guy like Jamias Ramsey, who they had to waive last week to make the trade, and uh, they could re-sign Jamias and put him as a two-way player and sign him to a two-year two-way deal. So he's there this year, and he's all, all there all of next year. I think there are a lot of different ways we can see this roster spot be used. Or if someone's really playing well at the G League and they think, you know, we need to reward them and, and bring them up on a two-way because – uh, G League players versus two-way players is a substantial difference financially. Um, two-way players make like 460 k a year. Uh, plus, when they get called up, they get league minimum pay, uh, pay for their games when they're in Sacramento. Um, so they have the opportunity, I think, to make 
around eight or nine hundred thousand. Uh, and G League players are making like maybe 100k at this point, but it's not very much, uh, as far as like the grand scheme of basketball world. And I think most G League players make a lot less than that. Uh, so that what are your what are your quick thoughts on uh, on Liu King? Yeah, I mean, I would have liked him like to see him get some opportunity. Like we're talking about missing shooting on this team. He's a guy that has size of like six seven six eight and also shoots the three ball really well. Um, I it, it feels. I mean, the reason he went undrafted was I think off court issue um, concerns. And part of it was I, off court. I think part of it was that he um, he didn't work hard. Um, that mm-hmm. hasn't been the case. That hasn't been the case in the pros. But that was the word on him was that he uh, he didn't like have a motor, um, and that he took time off and he didn't play as hard as he would like. But go ahead. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, you don't. We don't know what's what's up behind the scenes with him. But I, I think that as a player archetype like he's he is interesting to me like I would have liked to see him get more run um again as somebody that has size I I think he's progressed as like a playmaker a little bit in the G League this season and also hits threes at a good rate like I am a little surprised that we didn't see him get um some opportunity when we're talking about like Chemesi Metu Trey Lyles and um Metu's a very hard worker himself like we heard this season they took so much praised about Matthew's work ethic right like he hit that game winner and was in the gym like what 40 minutes after or yeah. something like this right um it, it seems like Matthew's somebody they really really like so I understand but I I am surprised um that Luke King didn't get some more opportunity with the Sacramento team we'll have to yeah. see who they fill this spot with uh, I'm kind of uh confused by the way that they've handled the roster this season as well um not just with Luke King I mean so basically, Lou's only played 12 games in the G League. Uh, he's averaging 12 points, uh, six, six rebounds, 3.7 assists, 1.2 steals. Only shooting 26.9% from three and 41% from the field. Um, but I bring all that up because Lou King also hasn't played at all with the Kings. And like uh, the he, he's played 10 games with the Kings um, and... You know, in those ten games, he's averaging ten minutes a game. Uh, all of that is in is in junk time, and I don't think he's really had an opportunity to get uh, sort of his bearings. And I think that that is the same exact thought I would have for Jemias and Robert Woodard and Nemias Keda. Like the fact that the Kings brought all four of those guys on a six game road trip or whatever it was, a five game road trip where. Like you're going back east. I, I think that there's value in that to learning, to getting that reward, getting the per diem, getting all of the things that come with it. Because players get paid, they get a they get an envelope worth with cash in it for every day that they're gone, right? So like even broadcasters, I think the uh, the per diem is something like 165 dollars a day. So if you're gone for 10 days, uh, you get an envelope with like 1650 dollars in straight up cash cash money so your per diem money is for some of these guys is huge um yeah you know so i'm just i'm looking at it in uh like why bring all those guys on that on that trip outside if you're not going to play them at all and 
almost none of them got to play on the entire trip until, you know, they started having, they had some little injury issues or something, but um, there was no real reason. Those guys need to be in the G League. They need to be playing massive amounts of minutes. I want to see Namias Keita playing 32 minutes, 35 minutes a night in the G League every single night. He'll average 20 and 10 with four assists, and you're trying to develop him as a passer. You're try- You know, he'll block two or three shots a game. That's where I think you should you should use the G League as your way to get these guys some real run, especially when you have five centers on the roster. You know, like there's no way for Kata to play in those situations. I mean, he played what there's one game this season where he played like 20 something minutes and was completely out of necessity because half of your team was out with COVID. Um, Those are situations where, yeah, bring them up. That's fine. But the other situations where you're just they're just not getting enough playing time. And I felt that about Luke King. I felt that about Jemias. I felt about Robert Woodard. Um, you know, there's even times where if Chemezi Metu was out of the rotation, he probably should have gone down and just got some some run. And there was one day where he asked to go down and get some practice. And so they sent him down, and then he came back up the next day. Um, I just think it's weird. You know, I think teams, like I could go on forever about how I think teams use a G League totally incorrectly. I think you might have one player maybe two on a roster that are like Kata or uh, or like, you know, I, well, I, I would leave it at Kata, like on this particular Kings roster where you need him to go down there and expand his game and get better at everything and you're trying to get all these minutes and you want to make him a focal point. Um, so when you do have a guy like Sabonis come off the court, you can put Kata on the court and he might be able to continue to pass the ball and do the things that you need, right? Uh, outside of that, I think that the, the G League should be used to develop specific player types, and that's it. And I know that sounds harsh, but I, what I don't think you're ever going to find, well, like it's so rare to find an all-star coming out of the G League, but I think more often than not, you need to find 3 and D wings, develop 3 and D wings at the, at the G League level. You need to find rebounding, shot-blocking bigs and develop them. Young guys with all kinds of spring, guys like Greg Brown or you know, guys like Kai Jones that have all of this talent. You, you need to develop that specific talent. And then what you don't need to do is send guys down there thinking that they're going to be the, na- the next uh, uh, Pascal Siakam. That's, that's just not – like it's so rare to get that. So I, I believe that teams use the G League the wrong way, but that's just my own personal – like rant on the G League itself. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, having these guys, uh, King and Kata, just with the main roster, like you pointed out recently, doesn't make much sense to me. Um, it, it also makes the G League games a very tough watch from the point of like, okay, how does this affect Sacramento moving forward? Because all these guys that are getting thrown out there right now, like what is this doing for what is this even possibly doing for any part of the roster unless somebody emerges and what if they emerge on your G League roster they could get pulled by another team or it's like you're really talking about emerging into like the 12th 10th guy at best on a roster spot um yeah it's definitely been a weird situation and I'm I'm curious to see what they end up doing with this um with this spot that they just opened up for Luke King I would yeah, I, I would guess that waving him is a product of having somebody else in mind, um, but we'll have to see if that's the case. Um, 
we'll, yeah, we'll have to see if that's the case moving forward here. I would be on the phone if we weren't on the podcast. Yeah. I, I would be figuring out what this is, but but we're podcasting. So uh, you've heard me say this before on the pod, but life is what happens when you're making other plans. Um, <laughs> yeah. And especially at the NBA level, it's, it's chaos. It's happening all the time. Weird stuff is happening. Um, and, you know, like what Luke King should be doing is working really hard not to be the next guy who comes up and averages 14 and, and whatever. He should be working really hard to be a Justin Holiday, you know? And so at the uh, the pro level, uh, teams teams do stupid things all the time. And I, I'll continue to say that. What they do is, um, I, I call this the Todd Lighty theory. <laughs> um, oh, is it Todd David Lighty? Uh, yeah, my brain is, is gone. Um, anyway, uh, Lighty was a... Uh, a three and D player for Ohio state. And I don't think he got drafted. And if he did, it was in the late second round. But if you watched him play in college, he was Bruce Bowen in college, right? He's a great teammate, a, a guy who plays within his himself. He, he doesn't do anything silly. He can fill a bunch of roles if you need him to, but he also can just be, a guy you put on the toughest offensive player on the other side and you just go, all right, go get him. Right. So, uh, a guy like that, um, they're so valuable that instead of drafting him, a guy who already does that role, who already knows who they are and thrives as who they are, teams go out and draft guys like Malachi Richardson or Dante green. They're guys that, you look at it and you think, oh, there's potential for them to become really, really good to be a star level player. They never get there. They never get there. And what you do is you try to take a kid who has been the superstar at every level he's ever been at and ask him to be lighty. Like, just go draft lighty. It's, it's fine. It's okay to be that guy. It's okay to know who, what your role is. And then those, uh, some of those players are, they're, uh, they go to the G League, they go overseas, they work their way back, but most of them don't. And so, you know, I, I think that there's a, a huge mistake that teams make where, you know, advanced analytics will show you how good a player is at, at defending at the college level. You can, you can read those analytics and you can say, okay, well, I don't think he'll be able to do that at the pro level. I get that. Maybe there's limitations as far as athleticism and stuff, but taking players that have no opportunity, who, who don't want to be that and trying to convert them into that, it just doesn't work. And, you know, like Omri Caspi said, the, the best thing that ever happened to him was he got traded to Houston. And when he got traded to Houston, uh, Kevin McHale pulled him aside and said, look, if you're going to make it, if you're going to play for us, I need you to shoot the corner three and I need you to hustle and I need you to get out on the on the break and fill the lane and but I, what I don't need is you taking guys off the dribble. I don't want to see your 18-foot, 15-foot jumper ever again. I don't want to see any of that. This is who you are if you're going to make it in the league. And he said that was – it, like, was freeing. Like, now I get it. That's Now I know who I need to be. And I, I think, you know, some guys like uh, – I think Lou is probably in that category that he just doesn't know who he is yet. And he's only 22. That's what's tough. But at the same time, man, um, you got to be able to – like show that you can fit in and, and do everything you can do to stay in the league. And uh, clearly the Kings don't believe that Luke King did that. Yeah. 
I think Bagley weirdly falls into what you were just describing of like, I would hope that him going to Detroit, um, they're explaining that this is the role that we want you to play. Um, and if he's willing to more fill a role now and go into it expecting that this is what they want from me compared to where he was in Sacramento, if they want me to be a star, they pick me number two of going into a different spot where it's like, okay, this is the defined thing that they want from me here um, that could kind of change, hopefully. I mean, it depends how you respond to that mentally, right? Um, that maybe Bagley is kind of an example there too, but... Um, yeah, Lou King, it's like interesting, like in the G League, it's like, okay, well, this year we're going to use you a little bit more as a playmaker and initiator and expand your passing. And it's like, that's great, spotty here and there when it comes to translating to the NBA, but really we need you to be a 3 and D player. And I don't know how much the defense is there. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. It's certainly not a trajectory changing with the Kings or anything, but it's, it's interesting to see what they're going to do with this spot. Yeah, I mean, he's the 17th man on the roster. I mean, that at the end of the day, that's what he is. I mean, Namias Keita, this team has four other centers or had throughout the season. I think they still have four, right? <laughs> they do. They still have Sabonis, Rashawn Holmes, Alex Len, and Damian Jones. They still have four centers in I front of I forgot about Alex Len. Yeah. He's played more minutes than Lou King, and the Kings don't have that guy. The Kings don't have a wing, so that tells you everything you need to know. And, I, I mean, you you brought up Bagley. It's a really good point, but Bagley is a guy who, who isn't. He has people in his ear telling him, "You're going to Detroit, and you're going to be a star. You're going to prove all those haters wrong. Just be mm. who you. You just fit into a role. Find your niche in the league. It's you know the self-made man in the, in the NBA. Guys who work their way into the league. To me, they're the most brilliant thing to watch." Like guys who really, really have to fight that are on ten day contracts and next thing guys like Garrett Temple, like I, I love covering guys like that because what you get from those guys, they're so uh they're so used to how difficult it is and how they don't take anything for granted. And I, I feel like there's so many of these young players that take everything for granted and they just think they're gonna be in the league forever. I mean, and, and how weird is Rashawn Holmes' case? Because he was this guy, and then he gets a taste of, okay, no, I am a starting caliber center in this league. I deserve this big payday, and I think it's right to think that. And now it's like, okay, I need to slow back down a little bit here and accept this lesser role. He's an interesting case of starting at that lower spot, climbing to the top, now being bumped back down a little bit, and how is he going to respond to that? Yeah, Kent Bazemore. I mean, Bazemore is out there making $19 million a year as a dude who was cut on multiple teams coming into the league. Like, did he make it? Heck yeah, he made it. That guy's got a beautiful, gigantic house. I think it's in Georgia, you know, that he set his self up for for generations of, of Bazemore's will, you know, should be able to thrive off the money that he made off that contract that uh, Atlanta signed him to. It's just crazy, which uh, good for him. Like you worked hard, you you earned your spot, but that's what you I I think as a uh, as a G League player, that's where you should be focusing is how can I be the best role player possible, and not how do I become how do I become Pascal Siakam? How do I go become an All Star? Because I think I have the talent, and it's hard because again to make it to make it to the G League, 
means that you made it to college, uh, to a, a college team, which means that you were the best of the best of the best of the best of the best at every single AAU tournament that you went to your entire life. You're the best at everything. Everyone in high school thought you were amazing. You've been told you're great your whole life. Now I need you to be something totally different. And, and that's not easy. So I, I get it. I get why players don't succeed. I feel bad that there isn't a process to teach them that better um, or that there isn't an honesty within, you know, agents and the people around them to teach them like this is who you have to be. You know, Ben McLemore in Sacramento, what number seven pick, uh, number seven, number eight, um, you know, the Kings kept saying, thinking that he was going to be the guy that jumps over uh, Shaquille O'Neal at the All-Star game. And like where he's at now or where he's been the last couple of years, where he's just been a three-point shooter, look, man, you can stay in the league and you can survive and you can make three to $5 million a year for like eight years, another eight years, and just keep making contract just keep getting contracts just keep doing the work just doing the job that you're good at which is shooting threes don't do anything else get better defensively just just do threes on occasion you'll get a breakaway dunk where you can show people that you you still have those hops but um yeah it, it's a tough it's a tough thing oh, we totally got sidetracked brendan by lou king oh damn it lou <laughs> king damn it lou king you sidetracked us um but I think that that we we covered most of what we we're we we're gonna cover, right? Um, I think the one thing you know we were looking up the rebounding numbers. What do we come across with the defensive rebounding numbers? I'm gonna have to pull this up again here, um, but they're up to about a. I'm I'm pulling it up again as we speak because I don't want to. Seventy one percent is their de- defensive rebound. Yeah, and I I think that since they acquired Demonis Sabonis. Um, in these last four games that they've played, we've seen it jump to 73%, which would be um, which would be about third or fourth in the entire NBA. Um, and, and I think securing those defensive rebounds is so much helps so much with an increase in pace that we've heard um, talked about often and and you've pointed out that like Sabonis never played in such a high pace offense before and I think um, just being able to secure those more often is just going to lead to more and more transition opportunities Um, and we've definitely noticed an improvement there I don't don't feel like there's been any of these four games where I'm like man they're getting killed on the offensive glass right now maybe that first one against Minnesota when Rashawn Holmes was put out there um, there were a couple moments but for the most part, I don't feel like for what was a glaring weakness for the Kings, I don't feel like I've had a moment in these four games where I'm like, man, they're really getting killed on the boards right now. Yeah, I think Sabonis just clears like a, a, a gigantic path for everyone else to go get rebounds. And he gets a bunch of rebounds himself, but he also, I think the last game, the Chicago game, they got killed on the glass, right? Um, I, I think that's the one game where well that and when you shoot 34 yeah, to 47 yeah yeah when and they're you actually get, at 74.7 defensive rebound those last four games yeah which i looked if they if 74.7 was their number for the season that would be number two in the nba um i don't know if it's sustainable maybe it is um and i can actually see like plenty of ways that they could improve as a rebounding team uh, especially like guys like divincenzo uh who fly in and do all kinds of crazy stuff if you get used to him flying in and just trying to tap balls 
uh like as a as a guard flying up in the air and doing crazy stuff which i'm shocked to see him do um i I really do think that you could get those numbers up even better um sabonis is a is a game changer when it comes to defensive rebounding and you know i think when it comes to like someone had made a uh, comment in the uh in the the previous uh youtube um thread uh from from tuesday show and i think it was interesting um it was about how uh you know we're so focused on the kings are so focused on who's getting their offensive uh points and stuff like offense and defense in the nba play into each other so much man it, it is if you can't get a rebound then you're looking at another defensive sequence if you take a bad three and it's a long rebound that shoots out and goes then your defense doesn't have time to set up you know every time that you give up a bucket now the the defense gets to set up on the other end uh so you're really you're costing yourself bad defense and bad offense go hand in hand you can be a really fun offensive team you can be a better more even more fun uh offensive team if you're a decent defensive team who's getting a couple of steals who's getting some some quality rebounds and bleed outs uh you know those are things where you're you're getting the other team in transition and you're getting easy buckets on the other side so i think good offense and good defense they've got to go hand in hand and they just don't and that's something that this team has struggled with all season long and it's probably savonis's best defensive aspect is just ending the opposing team's possession by securing that rebound um we've we've seen the kings be horrible at that these last couple of years and uh while sabonis isn't some amazing rim protector himself he does deter shots and again i think his best defensive aspect is just securing boards um so that's that's definitely useful i think we've had stretches earlier in the year where harrison barnes was a really good rebounder and then uh sometimes that kind of fades a little bit as well but having some of these other guys I mean um, even De'Aaron Fox securing six boards and and he's brought down a couple a decent amount these last few games um, it's good to see some of these weaknesses that were so glaring before not feel like they're killing you the same way we got it we got barking dogs at Brendan's house that happens like here I I was on the air 1320 the other day and uh, all three of them started going off it happens Brendan you're fine. <laughs> it, it, happy dog. That's that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, we got a couple of last things to get to. Uh, we fully got sidetracked by the the Liu King news, which is, uh, to be honest with you, is totally fine. I think it it sparks interesting conversation, um, and, and that's what we're looking to do here. Uh, we let's see. We have to get to the business of basketball, Brendan. You don't have to limit this to just this season. Um, this is something Sean and I went through early in the season where we talked about the greatest like sporting event uh, that we've been at, the biggest moment that we've seen. Um, you know, like I was uh, my first season, Tyreek Evans had that crazy uh, three-quarter, well, half-court um, three-pointer at the buzzer to beat Memphis um, after I think it was O.J. Mayo had just scored. Um you know, I, I think that, uh, like, I would like to hear your your moment. It doesn't have to be Kings. What's the best sports moment that you've been at live? And, and it can be this season. It can be, you know, part of your journey, and it can be something that happened off the court. It can be whatever. 
Yeah, my, my dog is still... Somebody rang the doorbell, so they're freaking out. Um, but I think it's a tough one. My favorite one to watch was for sure the Baron Davis dunk um, on Karolinko, the We Believe Warriors. That was my, But I didn't see this in person, uh, but that was my first moment of, holy crap, I love basketball, I think. Um, favorite in person, though, I... It weirdly might be the last game that I went to at Oracle Arena um, and, and went and watched the Celtics and sat at the highest level possible, and the Celtics absolutely blew the Warriors away. But I think I'm going with that. <laughs> oh, somebody won't go away. They will not go away. They will not go away. Um, it was that- my last game at Oracle, and Oracle's home stadium for me, so... All right, all right. So, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna take to while Brennan like figures out what's happening at his house. I'm gonna add something that, uh, like, I talked about this last time when Sean and I talked about this. Uh, my wife and I were at um, the Coliseum in Oakland when um, uh, Derek Jeter made the play at home plate, uh, which was like probably again like Jeremy Jombe should have slid uh, for sure. Um, and the reason I bring that up uh, is because um, Jeremy Giambi passed away this last week, uh, you know, and and I don't think, like, I don't know if that played a role in um, in his life after baseball, uh, but I certainly know that he struggled with uh, addiction, and um, and I, you know, I don't want to like be incorrect here, but I'm I'm pretty positive I read that he took his own life. Um, and uh, that's just to me, it's sad because when you're a sports fan and you you watch moments, um, you know, and you watch things that happen to players on the on the field, um, you know, as a kid watching uh, the ball roll between Bill Buckner's legs in the 1986 uh, World Series, I think it's Mookie Wilson at the plate, uh, grounder up first baseline, and you know, all he had to do was scoop it up and step on the bag and. And he doesn't. And, uh, you know, his whole entire career up to that point, he was a really, really solid, good player. And then all of a sudden you're known as that guy. You're the guy who let the ball uh, roll between your legs and, and cost the Red Sox their first championship since like 19, whatever, 1908 or whatever. It was something brutal. Um, so I, I didn't see that live, but like those sporting events like stand out to you, like uh, over my shoulder is the catch from Dwight Clark. That's, that's what made me love football watching that. And so, um, you know, getting to see something live is cool. Getting to be there in person. What's your favorite Kings moment so far? Hmm. Oh, um, the Bagley dunk on Mo Wagner in summer league. That still might be the loudest that I've heard. Um, golden one center. Is that the, like, the in the air he well i don't know if it's a full he, 360 but he, he caught, caught it. it no that was against san antonio oh um, yeah yeah yeah. he this is summer league i think his it might be his first game in summer league but it was his it was his first summer league bagley had just been drafted and fox is on the team um as well justin jackson harry giles is on the team frank mason's on the summer league team the 19 and, um 
I mean, yeah. 2017 NBA draft squad. Yes, yeah. and yeah. you can see, um, especially from the angle that I was at, that when Bagley caught the ball, that there's an angle there, and he takes one dribble and gathers and then throws it down on him and goes back and screams, and Harry Giles bumps into him, and the whole stadium just erupted. I still think that's the loudest that I've heard Golden 1 Center. I wasn't at, like, the bogey game winner with the Lakers or anything. Um, the Metsu game winner, weirdly, this year was pretty fun. Um, but I think that the Bagley poster dunk uh, in Summer League is my favorite Golden 1 memory for I, now. I think the, uh, like, as far as Golden 1, like, moments so far, because it's still, you know, I mean, first of all, the Kings have been very bad since they, they moved into the the new arena. Um, I think one of the best moments for Golden 1, and this is really weird that it's one of the best moments, the Kings uh, at the 2016 All-Star Game traded DeMarcus Cousins. At that point, they were, I think, a game and a half out of the 8th seed when they traded him. And the first game, it was he gets traded during the All-Star break. We're coming up to that moment, right? So this weekend is the All-Star break, and then the Kings will come back. They'll have practice on Tuesday and Wednesday leading up to Thursday's game. And sometimes players don't even get back in time for Tuesday. I think there's some uh, some vari- like variance on when you have to be back. Um, anyway, uh, it was that first game where the Kings had traded their star and you walked in and the whole building had like a murmur and he was such a uh like polarizing figure that a lot of people were excited that he was gone and then a lot of people were like i can't believe we traded demarcus cousins and um they were i think they played denver they were down they came back and they had this moment where it felt like everyone in the building realized it's going to be okay he's gone and it's going to be okay because they won and then they were horrible from then on out. But well, that, and, and that we almost game. had a taste of that this year. Like Tyrese was traded, and that first game, um, they didn't have Sabonis available, and I think the fan base was very skeptical. But that very first game they played with Sabonis, um, Golden One Center didn't. I mean, the fan base didn't know Sabonis was playing. We didn't know he was playing till like seventy minutes before tip off. And Golden One Center got loud. They got excited for that. Like there was definitely a buzz in the building that day. Yeah, the building is is acoustically like almost perfect. Like for I've caught uh, I think it's eleven concerts now at the arena. Um, like it's it's an incredible place to watch a concert. Uh, but it's also for basketball. Like it can get noisy in a hurry. I mean, it can really really get crazy and noisy and go off the rails. Um, and, you know, I think the first two, two and a half seasons, uh, it was mostly a sellout uh, or it was a sellout almost every game. It was probably year, oof, I want to say year, th- like year four, where we started to see like the massive dip. Uh, I think this is year six, right? Um, yeah, it's so hard. All these years run in together, people. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and while I'm on that note, because we're just about to finish up here, uh, huge shout out to Angelique Ashby, uh, city council member um, 
who has always been amazing. Uh, she's always been, I mean, she was in Small Market Big Heart. I don't know if people remember that, uh, but I sat in her office and interviewed her for Small Market Big Heart. And she's just a like a spectacular local politician who, who's made like major, major impact in the community. Um, but her, uh, she was able to get um, the Arco property is going to be converted into a massive teaching hospital campus. So I think that I, I read like 1200 uh, construction jobs and then 6,000 jobs for the community moving forward uh, f for the Sacramento community. And they're going to convert the, the Arco property to this massive campus for uh, a medical, a medical school slash hospital. Um, so big, big props to Angelique Cashby. Well, um, while I'm on that, my, somehow my brain popped there because we're talking about, uh, you know, going back to the, the arena. And I was thinking about, uh, Arco and, and what that will look like. I'm hoping they bring over the six man statue. Um, I might just go over there and like steal it, like cut it off myself and like just yeah. throw it in, the, in the back of like my suburban and, and drive it <laughs> home and, and people can come to Lake of the Pines and see it like sitting, I'll, I'll build something in my front yard and my backyard where people can see it like the I'll light it up because I, I just think it's disrespectful I've always thought that that's probably the most of all the things that the good that I think uh Vivek has done off the court that might be the most disrespectful thing on the court that I've that uh the most disrespectful thing for fans because the six this is sitting out there in the weeds at uh at Arco is for the is for the fans it's a six man um so Brennan, are you are you good to wrap this thing up? I am. I have a freaking unit inspection, and they tell you sometime between nine and five on today or tomorrow, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. All right, I'll I'll wrap this up then. Uh, we won't do final thoughts, uh, but I'm just gonna clear this up. Uh, number one, if you're still listening at 121 minutes in, um, Sean Cunningham is is uh, on hiatus. There's nothing wrong with Sean. Uh, there's no rift. There's no nothing going on. Um, he's having a scheduling conflict of sorts. And so uh, we'll get Sean back eventually. Uh, that is the hope. Um, but uh, in the meantime, Brandon is doing an absolutely wonderful job filling in. And uh, and to be honest with you, there's probably going to be a, a point where, where maybe we add some stuff where Brandon is here on additional days, uh, even when Sean is back, because I think it's going that well. Um, so that's number one. Uh, Sean is a okay. And Sean will be at the happy hour. So he will be at the happy hour, uh, tonight, uh, on, on Thursday, uh, February 17th, for those who are watching this afterwards, um, from five thirty to seven, um, Jerry Reynolds is dropping by. We're going to talk crazy stories. We're going to really dig into like Jerry's past and all kinds of amazing things. It's a, it's an incredible, incredible, uh, fun thing that we do the happy hour. Uh, if you haven't been to one yet, it's nuts. And it's like a premium subscription to the Kings beat $75 for the year, $7 a month. Like you're going to pay a lot more than that to go to the movies right now. And this is like going to a comedy show that normally would cost you a lot. So, uh, just for the happy hour alone, the Kings beat premium subscription is well worth it. Um, outside of that, uh, jump in down below, uh, give us a thumbs up, uh, give us a subscribe. 
if you want to jump in and get some cool gear uh make sure to uh there is a link down below to the king's beat merch shop um brennan can you say goodbye i can thanks for having me on james the merch is killer by the way especially that hoodie you have going on that's right that's right all right so for brendan nunez from the king's herald and the king's pulse podcast i am james ham we will see you next week uh we won't have a lot of games to talk about because there are no games between now and then because of the nba all-star game so uh take care have a good weekend and hopefully some of you i will see on the happy hour later tonight 